So at some point in the past, your Earth's mom and your dad, and a little while later, you first come into the scene. It's going to be your starting point right here. And at some point in the future, you may not like to hear it, but at some point in the future, you and I will die. That's our end point. Some of us may end a little bit later than others. We may get a little bit longer out of the life. Sorry to give up this morning, but it's just reality. At some point, you're going to die. Um, in all reality, life is short. In the words of the early Christian mystics, life is like a vapor. It's like that warm breath of air on a cold morning that's there for a moment and then gone forever. I bet the Christian mystics were fun to hang out with talking like that, right? You're like, oh, that's a fun guy. Talking about that all the time. Um, and we have some questions, right, about what happened before this. Like, where did I come from? Did I exist before this? Did I live before this? Um, was it like the Pixar movie Soul? Was it not? You know, like, what, what was it like? And then we have some questions about what's afterwards. Like, do I go to a good place or a bad place? Do I simply cease to exist? Is there anything after this? Do I live again? And then in between these two points, our starting point and our end point, in between these two series of questions, we sleep and eat and go to school, and we sleep and we eat and we go to work, and we sleep and we eat and we binge watch the How to Banks on Netflix, and we play video games and we wait in lines and we go grocery shopping and we pay bills, and then it's over. Um, but occasionally, there's moments that break us out of our monotony, like this monotonous existence where we're just like, eating and sleeping and working and binging, occasionally there'll be a moment and we fall in love. And we're like, this changes everything. This redefines the whole trajectory of my life. Or maybe we find out that we have a skill that we never knew that we had. And so suddenly we have an ability to do something. And we're like, it's like I was created to do this thing. And this changes how I do my whole life. I was made to do this. It feels like when I do this, the universe is glad that I'm doing it. Or maybe sometimes you're, you're watching the stars, and maybe it's a falling star or a shooting star, it's a meteor shower, and you're like, it feels like there's something on display, and it's put there just for me to enjoy. And you're like, you have this feeling of like, what is this? This feels amazing. Um, we have these moments that break us out of the monotonous existence of our lives, and make us think, maybe there's more life than eating, sleeping, working, and dying. There are the mundane moments of our daily lives, and then there are the moments that redefine our lives forever. Moments that make us wonder, is there more to life than just a monotonous existence that has a starting point and an end Now, it doesn't matter if you're religious or you're ir irreligious. If you're like, I don't believe in anything, we all have these moments, these profound moments, where it feels like you've stumbled into something mysterious. You hear a song, and something's moved inside of you, and you start crying, and you're like, I don't even know why I'm crying right now, but something about that spoke to something inside of me, and it changed me. Sometimes it feels like you've stumbled into something spiritual. As if for a moment we've seen behind the curtain, and everything makes sense. There's these moments of wonder, mystery, and meaning that make us feel small, but all of a sudden more connected than we've ever been to everything around us. Like suddenly we matter, but not because we're the center of the universe, but because we're part of something bigger and better and more beautiful than ourselves. In the 1984 movie Ghostbusters, 
Um, which is always a highly theological movie for reference. I mean, it is. Um, the heroes use a PKE meter to detect the presence of spirits. And uh, even the little wings come up. I thought about buying a prop one just for this, and I was like, $50 is a lot to buy a prop. I'm like, but then I could keep it and have it. I didn't have it. You just get a picture instead. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has put a deep sense of eternity into human hearts, but he himself is beyond figuring out. Beneath the surface of you and I is a spiritual instrument, a hidden instrument that detects the spiritual. It's an internal PKE meter, if you like. God has placed inside of you and me these instruments that mostly sit dormant, gathering dust and collecting metaphorical cobwebs, but occasionally they flare to life at certain points of our life, and they say, this point matters. This is going to change your life. This is important. There's something more than just what's on the physical plane happening here. Something important and meaningful and powerful is happening. The Christian tradition holds that God has built into every human a sense of the divine, an instrument to detect the ethereal, an ability to notice the abnormal. We all hold the power to wonder. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. The power to wonder. Now, time is measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. In the words of the Chinese discount from the second century, Xin Jiang, it's not how many breaths you take, it's how many moments take your breath away that make a life meaningful. Now, moments are processed and recorded in our brains. I have this lovely brain example up here that Darby and Allison did for me. Thank you so much. Um, the average human brain weighs approximately three pounds, contains one billion neurons, 100 billion neurons, sorry. About 75% of your brain is water. When you're awake, your brain produces around 20 volts of electricity. That's enough electricity to keep a light bulb on. The brain sends information down your nervous system at a staggering 200 miles per hour. And people have somewhere between 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts race through their brains every day. You ever feel tired at the end of the day? Your brain's been working overtime thinking thoughts. 95% of those, though, neuroscientists tell us, are repetitive thoughts that you've had before, maybe even the day before, and you don't remember. Our short-term memory is small and quite literally short. Most researchers believe we hold somewhere between 5 and 9 things in our memory for 15 to 30 seconds. You can remember somewhere between five and nine things before you start forgetting things. That's why your partner keeps forgetting what you said, right? It's not their fault. They have a short term And uh, that's why we keep forgetting where we put the remote and I open up the fridge and I'm like, why is it in here? You know? Most of life is not. This message that you're listening to right now, you will probably forget this. If I really want you to remember this, I have to do something weird like write on a wall or put a brain out. You know, I have to do something that sparks your curiosity or makes you curious. I have to make it a moment. I have to make it unique. I have to activate your wonder. I have to do something weird or different, something that makes it stand out. Now, when you sleep, your brain processes everything that's been put into the wastebasket of your short-term memory and decides what makes the cut and is moved into long-term memory. So if you don't get enough sleep, your memory starts getting out of whack. Now, this is just like on your computer when you move things to your wastebasket, but before you delete, it's like, are you sure you want to delete all these items? And you can go back and save some. It's exactly what your brain does with your short-term memory. Neuroscientists tell us that our lives are a culmination of our most important memories all lived out at once. How you see the world, 
how you act in the world, how you feel about things, is a combination of these, these moments. These things that have moved into your long-term memory, these moments of wonder that have redefined how you see the world, how you feel about things, how you make sense of the monotony of your daily life. We have, if we want to change directions, if we want to become a new person, we have to make new memories, we have to have new moments of wonder. Now, uh, a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, a Catholic priest, and an evangelical pastor all got together into a Zoom call. Now, that sounds like the setup for either a really good joke or a really inappropriate joke, um, but it's not. Um, it was an interfaith training that I was listening in on on how different religions could find common ground and accomplish good in their community. Near the end of the seminar, there was this Q&A. People could ask any of the people on the panel a question. And somebody asked, don't all faiths just believe the same thing? Maybe you've asked this question. I've asked this question. The panelists chuckled like they got this question a lot. And this is what they answered. No, we actually have a lot of critical areas of belief that are incompatible with each other. But just because we think our peers are dead wrong about some stuff doesn't mean that we can't love them and respect them and work with them. What we do all agree on is that there's more to life than what you can simply touch or see. And this is the line that really stood out to me. They said, we all believe there is a transcendence to life. Every religion, every spiritual practice on the planet has this idea that there's a transcendence to life. That there are these moments of wonder, and what every religion tries to do is create a framework to make sense of these transcendent moments. They come up with different names and systems and explanations, but they all agree that there's something big and beautiful that breaks through at certain moments in our life. So what do we mean when we say something is transcendent in our life? We mean it exists on a higher plane than we can fully understand. We can't quite get our arms around it. We can enjoy it. We can experience it. But it's really hard to totally explain it. Like, when you fall in love, you, you, you're like, I experienced it, I, I, I like it, I enjoy it, but how do I define it? How do I put words around it? And that's why we, you know, someone didn't write one song about love, and we're like, well, that, that defined it. We're good. We never need another song about love. But we have thousands and thousands of years of people writing poetry and songs about love because there's something there that's beyond what we can fully ex explain. Transcendentalism was a movement that arose in the 1830s as a response to and a critique of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment made education the uh, chief priority of mankind and argued that everything could be solved by science and reason. Give science and reason enough time to solve anything. But the transcendentalists argued that you couldn't really know yourself. You could measure your molecules, you could weigh your mass, but you couldn't research the soul in a lab. They argued that you could sit in a forest and catalog every tree, and name every species, or you can sit in a forest and become like trees, rooted and grounded and thoughtful. While transcendentalism wasn't Christian, it was intensely spiritual. Its primary proponents, people like Ralph Waldo Emerson or Emmanuel Kant, argued that there was some truth that you couldn't find in books and mathematics. No matter how many equations you get, there is some truth you couldn't find. There was some truth that could only be found in wonders. In the 2016 film Arrival, starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner, Amy Adams plays a linguist tasked with communicating with an alien race that's shown up on the planet in a black cylinder spaceship. And uh, the, she has to figure out, how do I communicate with an alien race that doesn't even speak? And one of the core ideas in the film is the, 
is the hypothesis, the linguistic hypothesis of the Sapir-Wolf hypothesis. It's a theory of linguistic relativity, relativity that argues that language affects thought. For instance, an English speaker will think differently than a Chinese speaker, the hypothesis suggests, because the way that they talk is different, the way that they think will be different. Just as Bakun, a McGill professor in syntax and indigenous language who consulted on the film, uh, says the notion of a non-human language containing different properties and thus different thought processes for its speakers is reasonable and likely. You say, well, Alex, that's fascinating, but why are you telling me that? What does that have to do with anything? Because I believe, well, I know God's not a native English speaker, right? God didn't grow up speaking English. Um, as a result, the way that God thinks is different than the way that you think and the way that I think. And sometimes I'm frustrated with the way God communicates because I'm speaking a different language than he is. The way he communicates is different than the way we communicate. Now, there's this term used in the Christian faith for the Christian God, Yahweh. He's called holy. If you've been around church at all or are just familiar with church, you know that at some point somebody throws up the word holy over and over again in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. God is called holy. And I don't know about you, but I almost always assume some type of moral superiority to holiness. Like, that means he's really good. You know? Um, but actually, that's not what the word holy means. Holy means set apart, or unique, or alien. Now, I'm not suggesting that God comes from another planet, like alien like that. What I'm saying is, he's alien in that he's very, very different than us. There's no one else like us. God is not a superhuman. He's very different than us. Whereas the Greek or Roman traditions, they created these elevated humans as God. God is completely different. I think sometimes when God communicates, we miss it because he communicates so differently than us that we don't understand it. Not because he's limited, but because our minds and our languages limit us in understanding him. What if moments of wonder, what if these points in your timeline, these points where it breaks you out of your monotony and you say, wow, something happened here. This was weird. I felt something. Something was energy. There was energy in the air. There was something spiritual about that moment. It changed everything. What if those moments, those moments of wonder, are God showing up and communicating? What if God speaks in the language of wonder? Now, this idea is that's why I was connected to this. Uh, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55 says this. Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 11. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and God mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens, the skies are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, Isaiah starts in verse 6 here by saying that we should seek God while he can be found. We should cry out to him. We should call to him when he's close. So what is that? Like, Isaiah is telling you to do something that if I said, call out to Darby when she gets close, if she walked up close, you'd, you'd call out to her, right? But how do you know when God's close? He's invisible, right? 
Like, what a stupid thing to say, Prophet Isaiah. Like, how are we supposed to know when he's close if he's invisible? The invisibility of God is often held up as a compelling reason not to believe in him, right? Like, well, where is he? Like, if I'm supposed to believe in him, how come he's, I can't see him? Um, in the words of Stephen King, it's the unsolved mysteries that stay with us the longest. Not the ones that we have all tied up neatly in a bow because we get bored with them and we move on to something new. We're still talking about God despite his invisibility thousands of years into the human story. What if God is more interested in us asking the right questions, wrestling with mystery, than he is with us having all the answers and tying them out neatly with a dogmatic bow? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who tried to assassinate Hitler, just think about that for a minute. Could you mention that on your business card? I'm a pastor, also I tried to assassinate Hitler. <laughs> or on your LinkedIn page. What a Bible, you know this? It's awesome. Here's what he said. A God who let you prove his existence would be an idol. What if the moments God is close, the moments that you can call out to him, the moment that he's near you and can be reached for are the moments you're touched by a divine sense of wonder. These moments in your story. When you fall in love, you discover a talent you didn't know you had. You're moved by staring at a mountain or looking at stars. Or you hear a song that moves you. You meet somebody at just the right time and you're like, how in the world were they there at that moment that I was there and it all worked out that we met? What if the moments that we should call out to them are the moments that were touched by a divine sense of wonder when we marvel at the mysterious, the coincidental, and the unexpectedly spiritual? In verse 7, it says, the result of calling out to God and reaching for him in a moment of wonder will result in a change in direction for our lives. Verse 7, it says, the wicked will forsake their ways. The unrighteous will change the way that they think. They'll turn to the Lord. There'll be this change. Some of the most famous people in the world were heading down very different paths before everything changed. Um, a moment can change everything. It can change your complete tra trajectory of life. George Clooney drove a limo. That's not what I think of when I think of George Clooney, right? That's exactly. Meghan Markle worked as a glitter. That's not what I think of when I think of Meghan Markle, right? Steve Jobs made video games at Atari. Taylor Swift worked on a Christmas tree farm. Then they met someone. They felt something. They saw something. Moments of wonder are crossroads in your destiny. They're the moment when you have an opportunity to go in a new direction. They're God showing up and pointing you towards the horizon. Now, a change of direction is another way of saying repent. The word repent feels like a very churchy word, like no one says that out in everyday life, right? Nobody says repent. We think of repenting as a very solemn, religious thing to do, but repenting just means admitting that the train we're on isn't heading to the destination we want to reach. Every time I go to New York City, I get on a train heading the wrong, a subway heading the wrong direction at least one time. I don't know what it is. I blame the New York City subway system, or just the fact that there's always people pushing me to go in a direction whether I want to go that direction or not. Now, I could stubbornly say, I'm just going to ride this train all the way to New Jersey, even though that's not where I want to go, or I could say, I'm going to get on and head in the direction that I want to get to. There's a God who wants to get you to the destination you were designed to reach. He wants to get you there even more than you want to get there. But it starts with admitting that the path you're on right now may not be headed in the direction that you really want to go in. Here's what I want to ask you about tomorrow. The life path you're on right now, is it leading you to become a person of peace and an agent of love? 
But do you love people more than you did five years ago? Maybe you're not on the train that you want to be on. Maybe you're not on the path you want to be on. I feel like the apprenticeship to Jesus will help you become the person that at your deepest level you truly want to be, that all humans truly want to be. Now, in verses 8 to 9, Isaiah reinforces the theory that God is completely alien to us. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't talk like us. He doesn't operate like we think he should. Um, before me, my wife Barbie dated a man who proudly told her, I've got God figured out. And everybody was like, bye. Um, thanks for that. I didn't make that mistake. I just kept it to myself. No, I don't have God figured out. If you can fully figure out God, your God is way too small. Um, imagine yourself as a Coke can. And imagine if you began to try to fill this Coke can with the ocean. You went up to the Jersey Shore, you weeded through the trash, you start picking up the ocean water and pouring it into this can. Very quickly, you would find the ocean doesn't fit in this can. But let's say in our, uh, our theory here, in our faith statement, uh, our great world, you continue to pour the ocean into this can. What would happen? It begin to spill out, right? What if you just kept pouring the ocean into this can? Well, at some point, the can would be in the ocean. The ocean would not be in the can. And I think this is what it's like to know God. We quickly find ourselves at the end of our capacity to understand, and we start swimming in the endless waters of who He is. Now, one of the tenets of Christianity, and in fact, all the major religions of the world, is that the divine is transcendent. God is not His creation, and creation is not God. God is accessible everywhere because God is not bound to a place. Or an object. I can't think of a rock and say, oh, I have God's shoulder blade. Like, the, he's not his creation. I don't have a piece of God. God cannot be reached. There's not like somewhere where I can go and I'm like, that's where God lives. And I'll show up there. And I'll reach him. And I'll finally get to see him. It doesn't matter if I travel to an alternate dimension or even to the end of the time. Uh, in the Disney Plus show Loki, after traveling through time and battling a gigantic cloud monster, what is it with Marvel and cloud monsters? Like, can we not just have a real monster? It's always going to be a giant evil cloud. But anyway, they defeat the evil giant cloud, and he gets to meet the man at the end of time. But let's say you have all technology, and you can travel to any point in the timeline, you wouldn't meet God. He's transcendent. He's beyond the physical, created existence. Despite all the power and technology in the universe, you can't go anywhere to find God. In John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me Unless the Father who sent me draws them. God has to reach for us because we cannot get to Him. God has to seek us out if I'm going to seek Him out. And I think moments of wonder are an encounter with God drawing us towards Himself as the chief and primary wonder in the cosmos. He's sprinkling wonder into your timeline so that you reach out to Him. That's Him reaching across the universe for in verses 10 to 11, Isaiah suggests that God is ordering moments for divine purpose. He says, hey, I send out the rain, I send out the snow, it waters the earth, it replenishes the ecosystem. Moments of wonder in your life haven't happened by accident, but by design. Every magical moment from falling in love, to surprise encounters, to beautiful sunsets, have been a carefully curated gift from a loving God who wants to know you and for you to know what if every moment of wonder has been a generous, gracious God communicating a divine invitation to you to come and join His 
There are moments, and then there are the moments that change our life. The moments when a Trinitarian community of love reaches out across the cosmos for you. God whispers in moments of wonder. That's when he's close. That's when we should call out to him. And over the next few weeks, I want to train your eye and train your ears to listen, to tune your internal spiritual instruments, to notice wonder. And I want to inspire you to seek out wonder in your life, to seek him out in the wonder. And I want you to rediscover the mysteries that God has intertwined with your story. Later this week on our social media pages, I'll be releasing a video about how to create a life map. Because sometimes we forget the moments of wonder in our past that have made us the people that we are today. The mystery of the people you've met and the places you've been and the passions you've had, even in the pain you've endured. God is working wonders through them all. God is introducing himself to all these and inviting you to embrace him through all these. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, seek God where you can find him. Call out to him when he's close. I believe he's very close. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonder that you have weaved into my story. God, even people who are far away from you, who insist you don't exist, who are confused about what's next, you keep sprinkling wonder into their story because you love to share who you are. Thank you for being mysterious, for not just writing a textbook that tells us everything about you, but letting you be a person that we can discover and explore and spend a lifetime learning about and experiencing with. God, I pray that you will use wonder to spark curiosity in people's hearts and introduce them to how good you are. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.